Welcome to another fabulous episode of Practically Theologians. This is Josh, and I finally have Andrew here. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Hello. Uh, today we're going to talk about church membership. And um, I like this topic. I think it comes up over and over again. It's pretty interesting how many people today don't uh, don't see the necessity and and importance of church membership so i'm looking forward to the discussion and hopefully it sharpens both of our thinking on the topic as we interact with people who may not agree with us um whether uh i think well of course i think i'm right about what i think but whether or not we're right hopefully we can at least encourage whoever's listening to go to the scriptures and see what they say for themselves um so we might get two podcasts out of this conversation, and so I guess we'll try to split it up into, first of all, is church membership biblical? Is it a biblical mandate? And then second of all, uh, second, I guess the second podcast, second of all, <laughs> uh, would be talking about the implications of church membership, the benefits of it, uh, what to expect of it, practically what it looks like, etc. maybe something like that. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Yep. All right, Andrew. <clears throat> well, first of all, let's establish something. Uh, what is what is the biblical evidence that there is even a such thing as a local church? Because so I've heard it said. I've heard it said that by some people that I've had conversations with in the past that the church is just all part of one body of Christ. And so there is no real local church. It's a, just a universal church. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, and I, I think there is, there's truth to that, right? That, um, and I think that maybe uh, as we begin the conversation, it's important to, uh, to at least establish that when the, when the Bible talks about the body of Christ, uh, the what we would call like the large C church, right? The the global church or the universal church. That's that is referring to all believers uh, across all of time, right? And, and across the world, that everyone upon um, be, everyone becoming a Christian is now a part of that church, right? Uh, but then when we start talking about church membership, we're kind of uh, zooming in on local local gatherings, local congregations that make up that larger, uh, what we would call big C church. The, the those would be the little C churches. Yeah. So, how do we know there's a such thing as a little C church? Well, the Bible tells us that there are uh, little C churches, and so we see uh, we see it like right away in Acts. Right, we see that that there are people gathering together uh, to come and, and worship God. And, uh, and you see that right in, right in Acts chapter 2, when, uh, when, the, when the Peter shares his sermon and then thousands of people are getting saved, right? And they're gathering together right then and there. Uh, you see that there's, a, there's already a movement where people who are coming to faith in Christ are gathering together in a local area. Um, to worship together, to break bread together, uh, and so even in the in the very early, early, probably the earliest, right, the earliest um, beginnings of the local church of the of the New Testament church, 
you kind of see this little seed church within the global church, right? Within the, the global uh, church or, or the body of Christ, there's this local gathering of people who are getting saved and coming together um, to worship and break bread together. So I think you would see that right away in Acts chapter two, where you see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the, one of the places I looked up is first Corinthians where Paul, Paul says to the church of God that is in Corinth. So I think it also talks about that in Acts, uh, the church that meets at somebody's house. I forget who. <laughs> is it Lydia? No, that wouldn't be a church. Do you remember? Meet at um, somebody's house. So you see that, you, you see the, if you move on from Acts, right, where you have that initial uh, kind of that initial gathering and, and you even have at the end of Acts, um, chapter two and verse 41, it says those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. Um, and so added to added to what, right? Added to that group, added to that local group were 3000 souls who had been saved. So you kind of have that language of being added, but definitely as you move on um, in the new Testament, you start to see um, even more uh, clear uh, descriptors of this local church. And I think that, uh, you would see Paul regularly addressing churches, right? When he when he writes his letters, yeah. uh, you would see him regularly addressing. Uh, you know, he'll say to the saints in, um, <laughs> well, or to the church the, uh, in. Romans sixteen is what I was thinking of. Greet also the church in their house. Talking about Prisca and Aquila. Mm, yep. Yeah. Yep. So he addresses churches regularly like that, right? Yeah. With the uh, um, in his greetings or his opening his opening lines from his letters. Um, and, and that would again, that I guess we need to be clear, Josh, that um, that you can't go to a specific verse um, that would say church membership uh, is required to as as a as a Christian. Right. Um, which is why this conversation, I think, is very well, helpful. A lot of times. Well, why it's just, what's that? Well, Andrew, <laughs> I wonder if we could go to a verse that says it's required in order to be a Christian. Hmm. So the question is, what do you mean by church membership? That's because, right. Because it says that once you are a Christian in Christ, you're a member of the body. Yep. So it would be a requirement as a Christian to be a member of the church <laughs> as you are a member of the body of Christ. And, and the body of Christ is the bride of Christ, which is the church of Christ. So so there is a requirement biblically that all Christians are to be a member, but but the question is, what does it mean to be a member of a local church? Is that a requirement? That's right. Yep. And that, that's where we, uh, that's where we can't, you can't go to a verse uh, specifically that says you need to, you, you must be a member of a local church. But that being said, I think that the Bible makes it uh, specifically the new Testament makes it very, very clear um, that it is God's design. And we know that God's design is always good, right? God's design is always good. It's always right. Um, it's always good in the general sense. And it's always good for us, um, God's design. So I think the better question to ask is, is it God's design for believers to gather in local churches and to be members of those churches. And I would say when I define local church membership, this is how I would define it. Um, that we would, when we talk about local, like formal church membership, what we're talking about is, 
uh, people who are formally and publicly joining a local church family. Formally and publicly joining a local church family. So formally would mean that um, that you're actually making a declaration that you identify with a particular church family and that you're committed to that family, right? So a very like a obviously the opposite of informal would be you're kind of showing up at a church, but you haven't formally made that commitment or that declaration. So I would say church membership includes when we're talking about local church membership, we're talking about including the idea of formally declaring and committing to uh, formally uh, declaring that you identify with this church family and that you're committed to this church family. And then also publicly, meaning that you've made this known to the people around you, including the church family that you're that you're committing to. Um, you're making a commitment to that church family publicly so that the, you it's a the, those around you, the, the church family around you, the people in your in your sphere. Right. Would know that you have made that public declaration and commitment. And I think that when you understand church membership that way, um, I think you, you can uh, the New Testament makes it very clear that, yes, this is God's design. And like I said, God's design is always good. It is God's design for his people to be uh, to be gathering together in in local churches with that type of commitment, formal and public. And I think you see examples of that. You can draw examples from the New Testament where you see that being the case. So when Paul writes to a church, uh, he knows which saints he's writing to. Right. He knows them because they have made a formal and public commitment through by their words verbally and by their actions, they have formally and publicly uh, tied themselves or or covenanted themselves to a local church. He knows who they are. And I think as you read through the New Testament, you can also see that even the non-believing world around that church knows who those members are, right? Or who, who those churchgoers are um, who are part of that local church. So maybe they would define it or maybe they would explain it a little bit differently in the New Testament if we were to go back and say, Paul, how would you describe this? But I think we'd be catching the same um, the same essence, right, of what church membership is. Yeah. So I would I would I would agree and I would add add something and I wonder what you think of this. Maybe I'm assuming you would agree, but maybe uh, but you tell me what you think. I what do you think about the idea of church membership being connected to submitting to the rule of Christ? Uh, so in addition to joining in fellowship, uh, basically joining in a body as an active participant together in worship and sanctification as a body, formally a local body. I, I wonder if, uh, well, I would add that, a major component of being a member in a church is submitting to the rule of Christ as king, which uh, he has under shepherds, which he's given the church, elders, that keep watch over your soul uh, that you're sub- to submit to, both in terms of following them uh, as those who are responsible for caring for you like a shepherd would care for a sheep, but also in submitting to church discipline as necessary whether it's just formative discipline, which would be teaching and such, or whether it's formal discipline uh, that would be that would be discipline for something you did wrong, I would I would say that typically what I've seen 
with people who don't submit to church membership is that they also don't submit to church discipline. What do you think about that connection to discipline, to the rule, to caring for souls, uh, that as far as to the connection to eldership, submitting to elders? So you've got the, you've got on one hand what we just discussed, right? Which is the, the, uh, the example where you see, you see a picture of New Testament believers gathering together. So on one hand, you can, you can start to make that, um, make that connection, right? That, that it's God's design. You see it happening, uh, and it's happening enough and it's clear enough in scripture that this is God's design for his church that, that, his people would be gathered together and formally and publicly identifying as God's people in a local uh, area, right? Geographically, yeah, you see it right away in the Book of Acts, over and right. over. Yeah, yeah. And so you have that example. Then, exactly what you're saying, Josh. From there, as it starts to develop, you also see God giving definition and and um, even maybe explaining His design more for what it looks like for this local gathering to come together. So not only do we see it by example, we also see God giving some clear distinctives to this group. Um, elders would be elders and deacons would be a very clear example of that, that uh, not only is this group obvious who it is, there's also uh, a design for its leadership within this group that you, uh, you, you can't really function uh, as God's people gathering locally if you're not formally and publicly identifying yourself as God's people, um, committing to each other in this local church gathering, it's it's really hard to then start to uh, live out or or um, give application to the roles of elder and deacon, right? Because the elders are there to oversee the spiritual aspects of a local church gathering of a, a group of people, and the deacons are there to serve the the physical aspects of that body. And so I agree with you completely. And I think first Peter um, is one of the areas, this one uh, section or a passage you could go to first Peter chapter five and Peter is writing this right to the elders. Right. And he says, uh, I mean, he's exhorting the elders and he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so uh, without in this case, the flock, right, without the flock publicly and formally identifying itself as the flock. The elders really uh, don't really know, uh, wouldn't really have clarity on where to go with that, right? Who, who am I supposed to be shepherding? Who is it that's willingly uh, bringing themselves under the oversight of the shepherds? Now, um, that does, the under shepherds, that is. That doesn't mean that, that if you're not a local, like a, a formal church member, that elders are just going to not pay attention to you, right? Um, I don't think any elder would, uh, would, any elder that understands that role isn't going to just automatically dismiss people who aren't members who are coming to the church. But there is a very clear line that's being drawn and and a very encouraging thing for elders when people are coming in and saying, I want to uh, yield myself to the spiritual oversight of the shepherds, the under shepherds in this church. Uh, That is very encouraging and uh, and comforting to the elders to then be able to live out their role uh, to be spiritual overseers in the church. Um, and to do exactly what what Peter is saying here, uh, to be able to shepherd the flock of God, there's a great uh, there's a lot of clarity for elders when you know 
that this is the flock that I am charged to oversee because they have formally and publicly identified themselves as the flock. Otherwise, if you don't have that kind of that that formal and public declaration being made by the flock, um, if you don't have that, then it becomes very, very hard for the elders to uh, shepherd with any sort of uh, of accountability or, or um, depth, I would say. Um, so and also and again, and that ties right into what you were talking about, Josh, with church discipline. Uh, there are times when church discipline as a as a means of um, pursuing restoration and reconciliation. There are times biblically when when church discipline needs to be uh, implemented or pursued. And in that case, if you don't have a flock that has formally identified itself and publicly um, identified itself as the flock, it becomes really, really hard to to make sense of church discipline. Um, And I would say that's uh, church discipline is is very, very easily abused. Um, And I think the the clearer you can get on church discipline, uh, the more you're going to be able to to uh, apply it properly in a way that is good and, and honoring to God. And you really need to have a, a flock that has formally and publicly declared itself to be the flock. You really need that to be there in order for church discipline to be implemented, but also be implemented well um, and with the proper motives and the proper aim. Um, probably what's going to happen if you don't have formal church membership in play um, is church members or church discipline is probably going to take a back seat. Um, and it's not, it's not really going to be something that's even really utilized because it's so hard to do it. Right. When you don't have a flock that is, is clearly defined. And how can you hold somebody accountable if they never make any sort of a profession of faith at all? Yeah. Which, so that leads to the question. What, what does church, what do you, what does church membership look like in your church. And what's the process of church membership and what's, do you know what I mean? How is somebody yeah. brought into church membership in your church? Yeah. So, uh, so we would have the initial step would be a doctrine class that, that we have that runs about eight weeks. Um, and, it, and it goes through just the, uh, the core doctrines of the faith, uh, starting with, uh, the Bible, and then moving on to who is God, the Trinity, the different persons of the Trinity, uh, then going through the the uh, creation, fall, redemption, moving into the Christian life. What does it look like to live out your faith? Um, what, one of the things we talk about in salvation is uh, you are saved. You are saved. Uh, the way that we kind of lay it out is you are saved from God, from his wrath. You are saved by God. He's the one that moves to save you, you're saved through God, obviously meaning Jesus Christ. It's, it's through his work that you're saved. But we also, what we always want to highlight at the end of that is that you're also saved for God. Uh, he's the He saves you with a purpose. He saves you. He saves his people. He redeems his people for the purpose of them now living their, their lives in light of who they are in Christ, right? In light of being a redeemed people. And so that really, that really uh, flows into then what is the Christian life? And right in that conversation, what it means to live out the Christian life is we are not designed to live this life uh, alone, right? We're, we're designed to live this life with other people, specifically with other people who are worshiping God. Uh, that's that's how God 
that's how God allows us to experience what it means to be his people is to be his people together. The, all the one another's in the New Testament, right, are showing us that you are you are created to live out your faith among other believers um, and also in the world. Right. But but definitely among other believers where we glean, we glean strength and encouragement and comfort from other believers as we all have this common faith in Christ. And so that's the first step that we do. And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to start high level doctrine that just to make sure we're on the same page and then really bring that down into, and now here's what it looks like to live out your faith. And you can't do that in a way that is within God's design, unless you're a part of a local church, that's where you can really appreciate and enjoy uh, how God has designed his people to be within a local church, committed to each other, looking out for each other, uh, exhorting each other, all of that happening within a, where, where Christians have made a commitment to do that with and for each other. So that kind of is the, the first step of our, of our church membership process and, and then we would move into um, we, we would want to make sure that that your testimony is uh, that, that your testimony incorporates the gospel. So basically, we're asking you to, to share your testimony with a couple of elders. And we really basically in that in that sense, we want to make sure that uh, you understand the gospel, that you understand what it means to embrace and put and, and know the gospel and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. And uh, another thing we always ask in that in that conversation with those that want to become members is uh, one, what's your testimony? Do you understand the gospel? That's very, very important. We don't want someone coming in thinking that membership is what saves them, right? We don't want someone coming in thinking that, uh, that their works save them or anything else. We want to make sure that they understand the gospel and that it's very clear and that they are putting their faith in Christ alone. Uh, And we also want to, we also always ask, why do you think LCC is a good, uh, why do you think God is leading you to LCC? Why do you think LCC as a local church would be a good fit? Uh, And so we, we kind of unpack that a little bit. And again, all of this is just uh, making clear that, um, that yes, you, you, you understand what we hold as the gospel and that you believe that God has led you here to be a part of this church. So then from there, uh, then that's when membership would take place. So question. If you read, I think of the Philippian jailer, uh, as an example, or maybe, I don't know, the Ethiopian eunuch, or even in early in Acts when 3,000 souls were added and baptized, by the way. Um, so today, typically, the church membership process is drawn out. There, In our old church, we had a membership class that was probably probably about eight weeks of going through a booklet that our pastor had written on what our church believed. And it was really intended to let us uh, see what we're getting ourselves into, what are we submitting to as far as the teaching of the church. But it also allowed the the pastor and an elder, whoever was teaching, to get to know us and know who was coming into their church. So kind of, kind of from both sides, it's the elders guarding the flock and letting the flock know, hey, look, this is what you're submitting to. You don't have to. It's voluntary. But if if you're coming to this church, this is what we're going to be teaching. And this is what you agree to at least not cause trouble about, you know what I mean? Um, but the question I have is why is it that today the process is long and drawn out in some churches? Our current church is not this way, <laughs> but that's another story. But in, in a lot of churches it's long and drawn out, which I think is good. But in the new Testament, you don't see that you don't see a long drawn out process or do you? 
as far as um, people becoming members of the church. Do you have a good answer for that? It's kind of an unexpected question. No, that's good. No, that that's a really good question to ask. And I think a lot of that has to do with the the level of uh, discernment that's needed. I think that you would have in the New Testament, especially when when it's and when the new when the church is when we were talking about in Acts chapter two when it's initially getting off the ground, right? Uh, the, those believers knew that they believed. And that was and that was it, right? And they were gathering together. There weren't a lot of distinctives um, that that would be. There weren't a lot of differences. There wasn't a lot of. Uh, there wasn't a lot of formal history. Uh, history. Yeah, there wasn't history, and there wasn't a lot of uh, formalization of different tiers of beliefs and things like that. Uh, they didn't have the history that you're exactly right that we have today, and all the different opinions and thoughts. I mean, that just happened in an instant. And then even over, you know, the as, as the New Testament church starts to take shape over the the you know 10 20 or 30 years that we so we see in the new testament that over the the 10 20 or 30 years that follow from acts right as the as the new testament church starts to develop and take shape uh we we see that even then there are there's there's a it's very unpopular uh to asso- associate yourself with a church which keeps I'm everything saying. very what's that it's high stakes. It's high stakes. Yep, and it keeps everything very, very tight. Uh, in the sense that if you're if you're going to a church, you are you are uh, you are saying I have faith in Christ, and that's what brings me into this church, right? And I think that maybe they wouldn't have the the long drawn out process because basically I think they would know the importance of hey, you're a believer. We want you in this local gathering because this is where you're going to be filled up. This is where you're going to be strengthened. We're under persecution. You need the means of grace that are here. You need to you need to feel that. You need to experience that in your life in order to keep your head up and keep moving, right? Uh, so I think that there's so much value in just. Uh, I think that if you look at Paul and the the apostles that were really involved, had their sleeves rolled up, planning these churches and growing these churches, they would have brought people in saying, "Hey, if you believe, come on in." And exactly what you said, Josh. Um, that there's a there's. There's the the other issues that you were talking about where you say, I'm not going to be divisive on this, right? As they were coming in, I think what we start to see is that there were a lot of opinions on yeah. a lot of different things, right? So, I mean, Paul's addressing that too in Romans 14, right? That, um, <laughs> hey, listen up, guys, like you, you have a lot of different opinions on a lot of things, but you got to keep the main things, the main things, even though these things are threatening to divide you. Yeah, um, Acts 15. What's that? Like Acts 15. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so you see that. You see that threat, I guess you could say, or that 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 um, hurdle, I guess, that the church had to had to deal with. It was there then as well. Now that we have the history that we do, and I would say even this is even more so in uh, a country like the United States, where we have we we, we have religious freedom, um, we have consumeristic religion, and we have that. Yep, and so it, it's there's such a when you say Christianity and you say church. Yeah. It doesn't really mean much, no. right? Exactly. Um, so when you say church and when you say Christian in the New Testament, it means a lot. Yeah. Um, when you, and that would apply if you said Christian in China, right? There's it means a lot more because nobody's going to associate with that word if they don't have to. Yeah. Um, if you were in Iraq, it'd be a little different. Yep. That's right. Or North Korea. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So nobody's going to wear, nobody's going to associate with that name unless they're compelled to by the, the power of the Holy Spirit within them. Right. Um, yeah. But because because that name is th- those terms are so watered down, I think that it is important for us to I, you nailed it. Exactly. It's important for us to communicate as a church. Here's who we are. Um, this is what we believe. And I in what that reminded me when you were talking about, you know, these are the things you agree not to be divisive on. Um, one of the elements that we go through in our doctrine class is here's who we are as a church. Here are the things that we hold to. Here, here are the things that we value. Um, and this is what makes us distinct as a local church, because because it is uh, not dangerous to be a church. You know, I, we're in a town of like, you know, around 3000 people or less. There's like four churches or five churches in our town. Um, and so it's imperative for us to share. This is what makes this body what it is. Right. These are these are the beliefs that we hold to. Um, and so we really want someone to understand this is what you are. Uh, these are the beliefs that you are agreeing to. Or and even if you don't agree with all of them, these are the ones that you're agreeing that, that you understand that this is who we are. Uh, yeah. So I just think for practical purposes, um, it's wise for us to at least I wouldn't want to drag it out too far, but at least drag it out, at least set aside the time so that when someone comes in, they know the church that they're coming into and the church that they're coming into knows the person. Um, So I would probably be less, I'd be less concerned about knowing the person thoroughly, but I would want to make sure the person knows the church thoroughly that they're coming to. So, yeah. So they have fair warning when you bring the hammer down. (laughs) (laughs) Not that all should ever bring hammers down. Yeah, probably not. Probably probably shouldn't describe it that way, but no. Maybe you should rule gently. <laughs> rule gently. Yep. And and I think that it's it's really uh yeah, it's it's healthy. It's very healthy for someone to know. And and I think that uh people will know. I've noticed this. I mean, usually when people are to the point of the doctrine class, um usually they have a pretty good understanding of where we are as a church, um some of the things that we hold as uh, as priorities, you know, and so um, now not everybody that goes to the doctor class becomes a member um, yeah. a lot, you know, and, and sometimes people are really searching for what is a good fit for me, uh, which is totally fine. But usually if someone's looking for something totally different, it's, it's pretty apparent before they even get to that point. Right. Well, uh, I would like to end this this particular podcast, unless you have more to say. Uh, but I have a question. So why should I become a member of a local church? Does the Bible command me to become a member of a local church? And so, when I say command, I include what scripture implies when you yeah, piece sure. it all together. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. I would, uh, I would always answer that question. And that's the question that I have, I have wrestled with in my own studies, uh, which is why I'm very, very, uh, I'm passionate about this topic because as I studied it out, I've one, I've seen that it is very clear to me um, that this is part of God's, this is God's design for his church. Um, and it's also so, so good. And we'll talk about that in the next podcast about the uh, it's, it's good because we can just trust that it's good because it's God's design, but also we can even see just some very real practical um, ways that it is good for us. But uh, so if someone was asking me, is it, is it biblical for me to be a, a church member? I would say, if you're talking about, do is it God's design 
for you to formally and publicly identify with a local church body? I would say yes, a thousand times over. You see that throughout the New Testament by example, and it's the only way you can actually make sense of the different commands and instructions that he gives to the local churches. Um, like, like submit to the uh, Hebrews 13. Yep. Um, yep. Submit, submit to, the, to, your, submit to the others that, yep. So who's that talking to that other than those that have, uh, that have formally and publicly identified themselves as that body. We talked about first Peter with the elders needing to, uh, it's, it's so good for the elders to have that clarity um, on who the flock is. Uh, first Timothy talks about the, the, the list of widows um, that would have been on the, what, you, what we would call like a church role. Um, and so you, you have that as, a, as another, I think it's just, it's so thoroughly. John 10, my sheep know me and I know them, says Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus gives us the under shepherds of the church. Yep. We should know the sheep yep. and the sheep should know the under shepherds. Who are they submitted to? Who's caring for them? That's right. Yep. So for on those two, uh, and there's more that could be said, right? But but heavily on those two pillars by example, and then by uh, just trying to figure out how would you actually apply God's like a lot of these words that we read that that would point us to that um, to that structure that the local yeah. church has. Um, Who is it that keeps watch over your soul? And yep. if keeping watch over your soul implies that you are submitting to Christ. Christ's work of sanctification in your life, um, then submission to Christ's sanctification in your life would have you seek out those who keep watch over your soul that he yep. has given the church, right? Yep, that's right. Anyway, yep. okay. Well, uh, we'll we'll end this podcast here. And did you have anything to add? No, that's good. Yeah, that, okay. that's well, podcast at practicallytheologians.org if you want to send us any feedback. And there's probably a way to do it uh, through the uh, through the podcast, through anchor.fm or Spotify or wherever it is. <laughs> but I don't know how to do it. So <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully it was helpful. We're going to come right back and record another episode, but we won't release it right away. So that way we don't have to uh, record so often, right? <laughs> Um, but we're going to record another episode on why, what are what are the benefits of church membership and maybe practically what it looks like because uh, Andrew I'm assuming you're still a Baptist as far as your view of Baptism I, I am yes <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian as far as my view of Baptism so we could talk a little bit about what that looks like in each of our contexts but yep. until next time thanks for listening thanks for listening